0: Good morning, it's Friday the 29th of December and this is Govindraj Ethiraj with a special edition of the Core Report. Well, we are taking a year and break from our news reports to look back at 2023 and look ahead for 2024 across different aspects of doing business and the economy. Speaking of doing business, today I'm in conversation with Tony Saldana, the CEO and co-founder of Enixia and the man who ran Procter & Gamble's multi-billion dollar global business services and IT operations worldwide. This is a Core Report with Govindraj Raj Aithiraj. Hello and welcome to The Core Report, the special editions heading into 2024. So digital transformation is a big and broad term. It's something that we've been hearing of for many years now in the context of how enterprises are trying to incorporate digital into the way they do business till it becomes business itself in many ways. The one thing that's changing and has changed is, of course, artificial intelligence. And there is a lot of curiosity in terms of how it is going to change the way business is done and how companies, more importantly, can use artificial intelligence. But that question in some ways comes a little later. The more important thing is to understand what are consumers asking, how are consumers behaving, and how is the relationship between businesses and the consumer, whether it's in products or services or elsewhere, changing? And what will 2024 hold for this relationship in specific and in general so to understand that i am pleased to be and delighted to be joined by tony saldana best selling author board advisor Fortune 100 company consultant who has worked in many places, but he amongst them being a 27-year career at Procter & Gamble, where he ran global business services and information technology for all of P&G's business units in 75 countries. Tony lives in Cincinnati, Ohio, the headquarters of Procter & Gamble, by the way, uh, but has also worked in India in Procter & Gamble and in Tata Unisees. So, Tony, thank you so much for joining us. And I, of course, must add that you've also written a book, Why Digital Transformations Fail. And that is an equally important book to understand, I guess, that not just the technology part, but the human side of things and where things go wrong or right. So, Tony, thank you very much for joining us. So, before we go into 2024, tell us about what you've seen and taken away from 2023 in the context of transformation in the digital, obviously in the digital context.
1: 2023 has been in many ways a watershed year. This is where you know, technology has suddenly become a main stage element in the consumer goods industry and in consumer behavior. I would say that there are three patterns that became really very evident in 2023. The first one was around consumption. I think You know, people finally are starting to demand much more personalized services. So, you know, they're no longer happy with just the generic targeting, whether it is targeting for advertising or even targeting for products. The second thing, which really I do not need to say because everybody's experienced it, is the rise of AI. It's incredible that you know AI became mainstream. It was driven by a very specific use case of ChatGPT, but nevertheless, I think now you start to see you know AI as a way of targeting, as a way of product development, as a way of learning, as a way of you know operating the organizations, and then the third, I think, is 2023 was also the year where you know the environment certainly had a tremendous jump in the consciousness, in the psyche, in the demands of the consumer. So I would call those out as the three big trends of
0: 2023. Right. So can we pick a couple of them? You said targeting product development and learning. Targeting is something that's obviously uh, being practiced uh, by corporations in the consumer goods space. And let's stick to that space, perhaps, for clarity, for some years now. So what's changed more recently in your understanding? I
1: think a couple of things have changed. I mean, you know, honestly, when it comes to targeting, I would say that the biggest thing is really the awareness, the consciousness amongst large and medium and and small-sized companies of the power of technology. I mean, COVID stuff changed the, the digital awareness for the average person, including the executives. And by the way, the reason I call that out is because five or six years ago, when I was writing my first book, Why Digital Transformations Fail," only about 20% of boards, boards of directors, were really you know, capable enough to even understand the power of technology and AI. Obviously, that jumped dramatically during COVID, and then it jumped even further when we came to you know, last year with chat GPT and things like that. So the first is awareness. The second, actually, is, I believe, the consumers themselves. I mean, the digital revolution is finally here. So, for example, you know, in India, e-commerce is now two hundred, going to reach 200 million almost there, next year, 2024. Mobile penetration is going to be about 80% next year. So I think you put the two together, the awareness of companies that this is a big deal, and, of course, the adoption from the consumers. And that makes it a really potent force.
0: Right. So if you were to look at, let's say, I don't know what product categories that you'd like to pick on and you're free to choose and see how, let's say, the companies or the enterprises are using technology or could use technology as we look ahead to better connect with consumers, to understand them and to obviously deliver to them what they want.
1: When it comes to consumer understanding and outreach,
0: you know, let's take the uh,
1: good old CPG business, right? So. Including Procter and Gamble, Unilever, and you know all of the other big names in India. I think there is a much better use of technology and understanding of technology to very quickly do consumer research. Right. So the good old days of doing large numbers of studies and then you know waiting three or four months to get the data back and then analyze it. You know that was the traditional way of doing things. Now I think there is much more capability to not just do quick A-B testing, you know, using algorithms online, consumer behavior data from other sources, but also reaching back into the archives of previously done studies and then, you know, drawing quick inferences from the data that exists. So I think when it comes to understanding, you know, there is much more prevalence of using those kind of techniques and technologies. But then I think the second is also reaching the consumers where they are. I mean, I'm not just talking about, you know, Facebook and Twitter, but I think the rise and globally of Twitch and you know, Be Real and to the extent that it is used in India, TikTok. I mean, I think all of these are becoming even more prevalent in targeting, reaching the consumers where they are.
0: And I'll come to the TikTok. TikTok is, of course, banned in India, but to understand how it's being used in the United States or other markets would also be illustrative. Now, you talked about going back and using past data or applying new algorithms on past data. And that sounds quite interesting. Are you saying marketers are able to actually pull out fresh insights by looking at old data? Yeah,
1: let me give you an example. You know, Let's say that there was a um, study done, You know, and, and there are a lot of these studies captured on video of a consumer working in the kitchen, right? So, you know, perhaps for dishwashing, you know, perhaps for cleaning, and so on and so forth. Now, AI, video AI recognition has gotten smart enough that it can now recognize actions and outcomes. So, for example, previously, maybe you shot a video to see, you know, how frequently a person reaches for the bottle of, you know, dishwashing liquid or soap, as the case may be, for cleaning, but now you're able to kind of go back into that data, and you can actually see that every time the person is reaching or bending down into the closet, you know, she is wincing in pain. So that's an example of kind of new insights that you can get out of previous studies.
0: Interesting. And this is one kind of insight, but is there any other, let's say, large data set which is more broader in terms of, let's say, a regional preference for a certain product or some insight? I mean, alternatively, maybe people have changed their view on something because they've looked at old data in a fresh way. There are
1: certainly examples of that happening. I think you can always get new insights out of existing data. Reasonable targeting, which is the example that you brought up, Govin, is always something that is a gift that keeps on giving, as I said. The fact of the matter is that, you know, previously companies were limited by processing power, how many insights, and how much they might be able to get out of existing data sets. So studies may have been done naturally, but the way they were tabulated we're really limited by, you know, the again the capability of the technology to do this. I think when it comes to regional insights, what we're finding more and more now that you actually have the data, the limiting factor is really your imagination. You know, you can go back and you can combine, for example, you know, you can combine offtake data, you know, in a particular state or in a particular part of the country, and then you can reach back into your consumer, original consumer understanding studies and see, you know, why is it that the offtake is not as much as you thought it was? So these are some of the areas, these are some of the use cases in which, you know, AI is being used for more precise targeting.
0: Let's look at AI now as we look ahead. And as you mentioned, you know, obviously the first exposure to AI in its new form is large language models and the ability to communicate AI in some form has obviously existed for some time already. But tell us about the new waves of AI or the new kinds of AI, how companies, again, in the consumer product space, for example, could be using it. And similarly, how could consumers be empowering themselves in coming months or years to either get better deals or get better products or services tailored for them?
1: So let me start with uh, companies, including you know large consumer goods companies, on how they're using AI or how they could use AI. We talked about consumer understandings. So I'm going to you know stay away from that here. Now let's look at sales: um, the ability to do planogramming, product placements, you know, on shelves. Again, previously that was limited by the fact that planograms were drawn manually or maybe on the computer were human generated. Now you have the ability through AI to create targeted planograms, not just for a a chain of stores, but specifically for stores themselves, right? So that's an example of how consumer goods companies are getting much, much better at distribution and, and, and sales and availability based on AI. Of course, supply chain and the use of AI there. You know, when I was at Procter & Gamble, one of the things that I did was actually finally use very different technology you know not just the traditional SAT, the supply chain systems but really starting to use ai and artificial algorithms artificial intelligence algorithms for the first time to do end to end you know demand all the way through factory replanning in real time we actually took a product a global metamic product which is relatively simple And we showed globally how we could quite literally replan in real time. I mean, that capability just simply does not exist or did not exist until we kind of looked at that. So supply chain is another example. But, you know, let's take something really, really uh, trivial that, you know, most people may not think of, which is the humble travel and expense report. Anytime in one of these companies, you know, you go on a trip. You do the you know hated and travel and expense report. You know where are your receipts? You know how do you enter the system and stuff like that? Well, AI changes all of that because now what companies can do, actually, what companies are doing. Google is doing this. Adobe is doing this. Is that you use data? So what you do is you say, all right, you know, Govin you want to do a trip from Delhi to London. Go into the system. Put in your you know plans, three day trip, whatever it is. The system has all of the information of spending on travel, on airlines, on food, and stuff like that, and spits out, gives you a budget. At that time, your travel and expense process is done. You can use the company-issued credit card, which will keep track of all of the expenses. And all of the data will do much more analytics than humans could ever on the use of this. But then, best of all, you are now free to travel with whoever you want, stay with whoever you want, because you're driven by a budget, not necessarily by following the standard processes of, I have to use this travel agency or I have to stay in these hotels. So as you can see, you know, quite literally every function in these companies is dramatically being changed. And by the way, all of these are examples that I have done at Procter & Gamble. So this is not conceptual. This is stuff that it is here today, right? From the second part of your question, which is, what can consumers do? You know, Can they get better deals? So, you know, absolutely. I saw a study that said that consumers are finding more and more deals via social media today. And so they're looking less at traditional advertising. They're looking more at either advertising that they see on social media or, for example, trends. From influencers on social media, and so you know that's one thing that is happening. Of course, the ability using AI to search more precisely for what you're looking for is there already, and that's another way I think consumers can get better deals.
0: Right. So from what you're saying, I can sense that you know there are two kinds of benefits. One is it's internal to the organization, and that itself is important because it makes the whole organization more efficient and responsive. And the second is the interaction with the consumer, including down to shop shelves or shelves at uh, stores or department stores and so on. So between the two, in a broad sense now, if I were to pose the CIO question, how is attention going to be divided in the coming year?
1: I think in the coming year, supply chain still continues to be the big priority. I think certainly in uh, consumer goods organizations, you know, manufacturing costs the ability to source large amounts and large numbers of different materials. You know, is a big, big, big cost driver. At the same time, you know, as I was saying, at the macroeconomic trends, the environmental consciousness of consumers, where you need to be able to respond to consumers who are saying, you know, how can I make sure that you know, 100% of all of the ingredients that went into this product was sustainably sourced. And so, without a doubt, I think supply chain is a priority.
0: And that's interesting because clearly in the last couple of years, and when I say couple, I literally mean two years or so, give or take, many companies are shifting around supply chains. Many started maybe around 2017 as tariffs went up in the United States. India, for example, is benefiting from some of those supply chain shifts. And we can see that with companies like Apple and Foxconn. I mean, the larger efficiency is physical, but what's the digital efficiency that can I mean, is there and how can it get better or how will it get better?
1: I'm gonna narrow down on in India and you know the manufacturing plus technology sector as a competitive advantage for India. Coven, you and I know that India has been the digital factory of the world now for several years. I mean, as it's, it's not just the BPO programming work that's done out of India, but the fact that everybody, you know, from Google to Microsoft or whatever it is a lot of the software that they produce for the rest of the world is actually done in India. Right? So India's always had a competitive advantage when it goes there. Now, the interesting trend in 2024 is combine that with the need of the West to move away from China and do much more manufacturing out of India. Right. And as you correctly pointed out, one part of this is obviously the factories, the machines, the physical aspects, the you know, Internet of Things, you know, so on and so forth. But I think this is the big opportunity for India. This is an unprecedented opportunity, not just for the country, but anywhere in the world, which is to combine IT technical skills and supply chain skills from, for all types of processes, whether it is incredibly efficient planning, incredibly high efficient capability machine running using Internet of Things and things like that. As well as you know, manufacturing planning, factory shop layout, factory scheduling, you know, so on and so forth. We can already see some of this starting to happen. You know, obviously you you mentioned the examples of um, you know iPhone and Tartars and you know so on and so forth. But this is an opportunity not just for the big companies, but you know, for the small sector of businesses that want to become the manufacturing factory of the world. Literally, that's the positive opportunity that's ahead of us
0: right and if just to spend some more time on the supply chain aspect so if you were to let's say in the coming year so one is the physical factories moving and some will and others may not because let's say being in china is still more competitive for various reasons but where do you see the opportunity to let's say squeeze out more costs and or the efficiency? And how is that different from what it was, let's say, a couple of years ago? Because the reason many of these factories moved in the first place was precisely for those reasons.
1: The uh, fourth industrial revolution, the, the use of Industry 4.0, which is really the blending of technology and manufacturing, is the big opportunity. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking really now on execution, so not so much on the geopolitics and you know why are global manufacturers moving to India or, for example, even within India. Why are they moving locations? So when it comes to industry 4.0, the opportunity to improve both efficiency and effectiveness is almost unlimited, right? Uh, plus on top of that, um, the environment-driven considerations. So environment-driven considerations are, you know, not just figuring out how to optimize the use of power or, you know, water as a resource or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, You know, you put together the Internet of Things, you put together really, you know, fine-tuned algorithms and, you know, you can make a difference truly on carbon neutrality. Now, let's take efficiency. For the most part, they have, at least on large manufacturing, there have been more sensors available on manufacturing machines than companies have ever used that data, right? And so now what we're starting to see for the first time is the ability to, you know, use that information to improve availability of these machines, reduce downtimes, and so on and so forth. So that is a big, big driver. The other is then the logistics-related stuff, you know, the improvement, not just in the manufacturing side, but the ability, you know, every truck that rolls in India today or anywhere in the world undoubtedly has a driver with a cell phone. There is already an inbuilt internet of things that comes along with the truck. Do we use it, right? So that's an example where you can start to put together some of these signals and really make a big difference, both on um, efficiency and effectiveness.
0: Right. So as we look ahead again, what is the role or what are the challenges that you see for business leaders, whether in the consumer space or any other space, which is, let's say, B2B supplying OEM suppliers to, let's say, automotive I mean, it could be anywhere, but in the context of what we've spoken so far, how would you define the key challenges for business leaders, maybe more so in the Indian context as you look ahead?
1: You know, I started off our conversation, Gogan, by saying that, you know, there is a large awareness amongst business leaders on the power of technology. Specifically within India, I would say that is spread unevenly. I do think that larger companies, whether they are multinational or, you know, more and more Indian, owned companies that are very very big they're making much more use of technology and modern manufacturing more manufacturing you know supply chain industry 4.0 techniques i've had the opportunity in recent months to study a little more of the medium and uh, small sized organizations and i don't think the awareness and adoption of technology is quite keeping the pace the same pace as the large companies so You know, opportunity number one, I think, is still awareness and understanding. Maybe much more so in the small and medium enterprises where I feel that the digital divide is becoming bigger. But I also think that it exists even in the large companies in India, primarily driven by the age of, you know, some of the assets, some of the machinery, and, you know, some of the technology that exists out there. So, How do we transition very quickly, you know, in line with the ambition to become, quite literally, the manufacturing and technology factory of the world? I think that's challenge number one. The second challenge, I think, is for, you know, executives in many of the CPG industries to keep up with the very quickly changing demands of the growing middle class. The middle class in India will be about 475 million in uh, 2024, right? And these are 475 million that are very different than their counterparts even two years ago in their habits, in their preferences. You know, their food habits have become much more international. Their delivery, or not actually how they get the food, food delivery habits, local food delivery at home is going to be up like 16% next year. So I think that's the second opportunity, which is consumer understanding, keeping up with a growing target audience, but a growing target audience that's not quite the same as who you were targeting yesterday. And then the third thing, I think, which is going to be a challenge, is I believe the continual growth of the awareness and the demands from this consumer base on you know, corporate and social responsibilities, companies are going to be hard-pressed to give real data on why they are better than their competition when it comes to CSR.
0: Interesting. You know, Your book, Why Digital Transformations Fail, obviously talked about what goes wrong despite having the best of intentions. The best of intentions at this time, let's say, to even bring in all that you've just said is to make your company internally efficient, make it more, let's say, focused on improving sourcing supply chains and driving efficiencies and costs there, simultaneously trying to connect or reconnect with a ever-changing consumer and a middle-class consumer, the one like as you defined right now. So the objectives are broadly clear. The path is fairly clear, but yet the transformation, if that's the right term to use here, process can fail. Why does that happen?
1: Go in, you know this. This is um, this is the sixty-four billion dollar question, as they say. It fails for two reasons, very candidly. One is language and awareness of what are we trying to do, and the second is methodology, right? So let me penetrate both of those a little bit. Um, so first, language and awareness: the terms digital transformation, you know, business transformation, have become buzzwords. They have been co-opted by Technology suppliers, you know, even if you're selling a payroll system, you say, transform your company, you know, use payroll. So the reality is that, you know, as an executive, context is incredibly important. We are in the fourth industrial revolution era. And unlike the first three industrial revolutions, which were, you know, steam engine, electricity, and the internet, respectively, this fourth, digital data, AI, it's all of the technologies. It's manufacturing physical technologies, it's social technology, it's medical technology. There is only one way to define transformation in this era, which is if you were successful in the third industrial revolution era, all the things that you have to change in order to be still successful in the fourth industrial revolution era. So one piece of software is not going to do it. One platform's not going to do it. It is going to have to be total shareholder returns that you deliver using new business models, using technology. So that's issue number one. I think people define this too narrowly, you know, too buzzwordy, and therefore they fail. The second is then the methodology. So if you follow the logic that I just said, it's not about technology alone or about processes alone. It's also 90% about culture change culture change within your organization, upscaling, you know, figuring out how to bring your organization along. And none of the transformation methodologies really address that adequately. It's more like an afterthought. So you put those together, and that's really why 70% of all digital transformations fail.
0: Thank you so much for joining me, and it's been a pleasure speaking with you.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our chat.
0: That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the And thank you once again for listening.